I'm Stephen. And I'm Kevin. In today's episode of the Stephen and Kevin Show, we're going to talk about the seven core components of advisor performance. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 73. And as promised, we're going to talk about the seven core components of advisor performance today. These are a blueprint for growing your business. If you're looking at your business and you're thinking, gosh, there's some things we could be doing better, but where do we start? Today's session, today's podcast is going to be really helpful in figuring out what are the elite performers in the industry doing that maybe I'm not. Yeah, we didn't just come up with these seven core components today. We researched over 2,000 financial advisors over the course of three years, and we identified specific strategies, specific tactics that they're implementing within their practice, and then we took all those and we put them in the, into these seven unique buckets. Yeah, so we're going to cover those seven buckets today and all the many subcomponents that make them up. As a quick plug before we get into it, we did just relaunch the Oxley Learning Center. It is the industry's best content online courses, quizzes, worksheets to help you build your business. It's also framed around these seven same components. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. But today's show is not going to be all about a plug for the <laughs> Learning Center. We're going to give you some helpful tips today around those seven components. But if you're looking for a deeper dive for $99 a month, Kevin, $99 yeah, I, a month. I don't think you're going to find a better deal out there. We need to raise the price on this. We do. And I've actually said that multiple times. But one, one thing it does let you do, which I think is really interesting, is that you actually take a benchmarking assessment. So you can assess your existing business compared to these other 2,000 advisors that we researched. And then it's going to give you a customized learning path. So it's not just, hey, here's all this content and uh, have at it. It's no, take the assessment, here are the gaps right in your business, and here's the courses that you should take to fill those gaps. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so if the shoe fits, wear it for 99 bucks a month. You've got the industry's best courses on your smartphone or your desktop. So without further ado, let's jump into that model and talk about, Kevin, the number one component in there, growth. Yeah, so some of the subcomponents for growth. The first one on here is referral alliances. When we research you know, affluent investors and we're asking them, hey, how are you going about selecting a financial advisor? One of the number one ways is a referral from a trusted professional. Yeah, they rely on other professionals to give them guidance on who else to use. So they ask their accountant, hey, who do you mm -hmm. recommend for financial advice? So uh, social prospecting, another component here that we think is really important. The fact that you get out there, socialize in the community and turn that into new business is a skill that elite advisors have that many others do not. Personal introductions, right? That's one where when we take a look at our research on elite advisors and how they're acquiring new clients, it's always um, on the top of the top three of the list, right? They get introduced to their clients' spheres of influence, and they're very tactful about going, you know, when they go about that. Intimate events, mm -hmm. a lot of fun. People do them wrong, though. They don't do enough of them. They don't do them with a lot of skill. And they don't get new business from it. That's uh, fixable. When you look at elite advisors, they do a lot of events. They tend to attract their best clients and their clients' guests. It's a win-win. The next one on here uh, under growth is one that you, you might feel like is outside of your control, and that is unsolicited referrals. And we're not talking about going out and asking for referrals. We're saying unsolicited from great client service. But, um, but really, from our research, there are some specific things that you can do to encourage clients to refer you more, to create a wow experience, to create a, you know, buzzworthy events and things like that. The ideal client profile, another uh, subcomponent under growth, if you don't have an ideal in mind, like a real specific ideal, not just about assets, but around occupation, mm -hmm. hobbies, interests, what is the profile of the person with whom you work best? 
your marketing is a bit of a rudderless ship, mm-hmm. right? You need to hone in on one clear ideal because it guides all of the other marketing decisions. Do we put money into this Facebook advertising c- campaign? Well, does it put us in front of ideal client? If so, yes, spend the money. What's the um, the psychological term here? Is it reticular activating system? Steve? Yeah, you know, we, we get wired into something. If you're looking for a new car, you're seeing that make and model all over town right. when previously you never did. We want to activate that as it relates to ideal client profile. Uh, and the last one, kind of subcomponent here under growth, is niche marketing. And from some of our, our latest research, too, we find that advisors who have some defined niches um, typically bring in more assets than those that don't. And now we're not saying that you can only have one particular niche. You could have multiple niches. There's ways to go about it uh, without alienating other groups of people. So when you look at the component that is growth, Mm -hmm. this is about proactive client acquisition. It's about grinding it out. It's about being repeatable with your marketing and not being passive about it, which we find so many people are. So let's move on to component two. And that is all about mindset. If you don't have the right mindset, right, then all those, those growth activities we just talked about, Eh, they're not going to be too helpful for you because you're not going to get out of your comfort zone. You're not going to, uh, you know, feel like doing these particular activities today. You got to have a really strong foundation of, of, of a really solid mindset. The way that we go about teaching mindset is first understanding your accelerators. When you think about accelerators, these are the behaviors and attributes that you have that have led to success in the past and will more than likely drive any future success you have. Mm-hmm. So if I say that one of my accelerators is that. I plan my day in advance, I do it religiously, and I get up and I work that plan. If I'm going to have success in the future, I need to acknowledge that's a big part of why I've been successful, and I need to stick with it. Mm-hmm. The, the other side of this is what we call limiters, right? And, and the best advisors know what their limiters are. They're self-aware when it comes to them because these, these are the mental attributes that actually hold you back. So these might be things like um, you know, procrastinating. Right, that could be one. Another one could be just um, being, you know, having social self-consciousness, right? Things that you know that, that you shouldn't be letting hold you back, but they just do a lot of times, and they limit your ability to grow. Next up, $1,000 an hour activities, the list of activities that are most vital to your business. And the sad reality is when you look at how, how most people spend their day, those $1,000 an hour activities are an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It's a, if I get time to do some of these things, I'll do them, as opposed to building our days around them. First things first, we've got to find out what those are in our business. What are the things that are, are most likely to drive your business forward, and how do we organize everything around it? Next one here is goal setting, right? Knowing what you want to achieve. That's important, putting it down on paper. Too many times we just set goals that are they're way too easy to achieve, or we, do, we don't do it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, because we just figure like, oh, well, you know, the markets are going to go up X amount and I'll bring in X and everything will be fine. Well, the best advisors don't do that. Right. They, they set specific goals and then they determine the specific activities that are going to help them achieve those goals. Day planning, another important component of mindset. If you're not planning your day in advance, you're probably all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right. You're, you're not as strategic as you should be. People have different ways of going about this, but we find this. Uh, more common with elite advisors based on our research than with the general populace. So when you look at mindset, once again, it is getting yourself dialed in so that you are able to go out and execute consistently. If you're not really dialed in, if you're not energized about your business, there's going to be a lot of the activities that we're talking about today that you're not going to do. So component one was growth. Component two is mindset. Component three is skills. And when we talk about skills, one of the first things we talk about is elite advisor verbiage. And one of the interesting things that, that we've noticed is, you know, hosting retreats. We have a retreat coming up uh, this weekend, actually, in San Diego. And 
um, is that the best advisors really like practicing their language. Mm-hmm. And you would think that they don't, but they, the one, they're usually pretty good at it. And two, they like the little fine tunings and they don't mind doing some role playing and getting some constructive feedback. And so if you think about, you know, in general, just looking at it from a total prospecting standpoint, there's probably a handful of questions that you get from prospects on a regular basis. How do you respond to those? Yeah, absolutely. Thinking about that in advance, rehearsing it, practicing it until you can say it backwards and sideways. Uh, Second up under skills, true differentiators. Mm -hmm. Really figuring out how to tell your story in a way that is compelling and different. Everybody out there, over 50% of advisors say that high-level service differentiates them, which is completely off base. You can't <laughs> differentiate yourself by something that everybody else is saying as well. Right. So what is it that's a little unique and different, whether it is your personality that's different, whether mm-hmm. it is your planning process, the experts you have on staff, being able to tell that story, really, really important skill. The last component here under skills is what we call you know, quality questions. Uh, the best advisors know how to ask good questions. They take more of a consultative approach when it comes to to sales. Uh, they're not they're not pushing on anyone, but they just draw it out of people by asking good questions and really understanding what their prospect is looking for and you know what their needs are. So when you look at that skills component, it's all about doing all the activities that we're going to talk about but doing them in the right fashion. Mm -hmm. Because you could look back at some of the growth activities that we mentioned. You could have two advisors who are focused on building partnerships with accountants. One is bringing in not a lick of business, and the other is crushing it, right? Why? They have different skill sets. That's right. Some people are better, and this can be improved, at, uh, at talking to accountants. Some people are better at social prospecting than others. How do we mirror what they're doing stylistically so we get better as well? Yeah, that's good stuff. So um, the fourth component here is what we call metrics, right? And what we found in our research is that the best advisors are measuring more things within their business. Yeah, I was thinking about that in advance of today's session, Kevin. When you think about metrics for exercise, everybody knows that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if I, let's say for example, I got a uh, fitness watch a few years ago. What happens when you start tracking that more diligently and you've got a watch that ties to your phone, that ties to your computer and you can keep your stats? Guess what? You run more. You run faster, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, you see the same effect when you start tracking your business development activity. All of a sudden, you're holding yourself accountable for working hard at it. Yeah, exactly. So the first component here we call business scorecards. Um, these are really uh, designed to measure leading indicators within your business. So certain things that are going to impact the long-term results. And it, it could be things related to you know the number of new prospects in your pipeline and things like that, or number of showcase meetings with a CPA or things like that. But they're just, they're important things to you that you know that if you do them, they're going to pay off. With activity tracking, this is the personal side of scorecarding. Activity tracking is day in, day out, what am I doing and how do I calculate my score every working day? It's something Mm -hmm. we do a lot of work with, with our activity analytics. But what do you, you know, when we think about key activities here, it might be calls into centers of influence. It might be events that you attend in the community. It might be sourcing names from existing clients. A number but of introductions do, requested. Yeah, how right? do we track that and, and keep tally? And then the last one when it comes to metrics is, is all about pipeline management. Uh, and, and the best advisors, they, they actually look at their pipeline on a regular basis. They know how much is in their pipeline, what stage each prospect is at within the pipeline, within the funnel. Uh, and they're, they're just really diligent about moving people from this stage to the next stage to the next stage. Yeah, so with it, when it comes to metrics as a component here, we think the, the vast majority of people could ramp up the number of metrics they're keeping on their business. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't feel like you're floating in and out of every day. 
being in reactive mode. I do what's on my desk when I come in. It should feel like I'm striving this week to hit these numbers individually and these numbers as a team, and let's keep track of that all year long. Mm -hmm. You know what? One other thing, just to your analogy about having the fitness watch and everything and that self-accountability, I think there's some some pure accountability too, with especially when, when we get into like business scorecards, and we have a scorecard for Oxley that we use that drives our team meetings. We pull up the scorecard. Everyone looks at it, right? Everyone knows how the business is performing in these particular areas. And if you're responsible for certain metrics, there's some peer pressure there, right? To make sure that you're performing. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. When you think about service, from us, the service component is all about putting some structure around things that you know already you should be doing with your best clients. Mm -hmm. Like you know already you should be getting more personal and social with them. You know you should send small gifts. You know you ought to have uh, service uh, models in mm -hmm. place that are acted upon, right? How do we structure all this to make sure it's actually happening all the time? Right. Well, exactly. So the, the components under service in office experience is, is definitely a critical one that you just mentioned, Stephen. Um, thinking about all those little things that add up when someone walks right into your office or even before they even get in the office, what that experience feels like. And is it is it buzzworthy? Yeah. Uh, the second one, getting social with clients. How are we systematically getting social? which doesn't mean you have to have a big mega event to systematically do it. This is saying every Friday I'm going to have a lunch with a good client. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to host more intimate events. I'm going to have more one-to-one -one lunches and dinners as a means to improving the relationship with my best clients. The next one here is client segmentation, and that's, again, under service. And most advisors do have done gone through this exercise at some point, right? They, they've segmented their, their book in, in a couple different ways, but do they actually have service model models tied to each of those you know segments and also is anyone on the team are they able to easily easily distinguish between the segments right do they know an a client's calling in versus a b client um and and, and again that's it's, it's super important it's one it's one of those things that's easy to gloss over but as your business grows treating everyone with the same level of service just doesn't become feasible yeah and it's certainly not fueling growth at the top end of mm -hmm. your book uh, deliverables, if you're one to execute high-level comprehensive wealth management, it's something that you have to put plans around and that you have to think about to what extent am I going to deliver on this for every client. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when people are thinking about service models, they're thinking about the personal touch side of it or the frequency of touch more so than the depth of services provided. Mm, so good. if yeah. I provide financial planning or I provide document aggregation or whatever it is, uh, uh, I might do it a little differently for Mr. Big Client here than I do do with Mr. Small Client. That's that's part of the process. I think that's that's great stuff. I mean, I actually had a client who was struggling with this exact concept of he had client segmentation in place, and one of his deliverables for A clients was I forget exactly what it was, but everyone on the team was just doing it for all A clients, and he was like, "No, we can't. We don't have time and energy to do that." So, um, lastly, here under service is client feedback, and that is just having a mantra of asking for feedback. This does not mean Stephen and I are walking, we're, we're leaving a meeting, and I'm saying, "Hey, Stephen, hey, anything else we could be doing?" You know, that's not me asking for true quality, you know, good quality feedback. Um, we have some some good methodologies for doing that. Yeah. So when you look at the service component, the core of the service component is doing a good job for people mm -hmm. and wrapping enough structure around your team and and, and the the operating uh, system that you have so that it's done consistently whether you're there or you're on vacation or you're in a client meeting or you're not all this stuff is happening the sixth component is digital and this is one where if you neglect this right now it's going to bite you in the rear end down the road. I, I have no doubt in my mind that if you say, ah, the digital stuff, ah, forget about it, 
it's just every year we get blown away by how much, uh, how we're seeing advisors bring in business from it, how much it's just, it's growing and changing and just, it's just, it's, it blows our minds. Yeah. You have to, you, you have to migrate along with the consumer. Yeah. And the consumers, it's not like you're making a conscious choice that I want to be this digital advisor or not. The consumer makes that choice for you. Mm -hmm. And the consumer says, Hey, consumers are getting younger. Younger people have more money. They're yeah. more digital. You've got to work those strategies. So when you look at the different subcomponents under digital, the first and, and an absolute bare minimum for everybody out there is branding. You've got to look like a million dollars online. Yeah, this is just, this is the bare minimum. This you is table gotta, stakes. It doesn't matter if you have just gotten started and yeah. you're six months in the business, you ought to look like a power player online. That's true. Because it ain't that expensive. Yeah, even if you're doing nothing proactive, right? You're just yeah. saying people, when people look at my website, they look at my LinkedIn profile or my Facebook business page, it looks fantastic. Uh, that should be a no-brainer, right? Yeah, you, I mean, to, to think about it this way, Kevin, when, when you think about branding, People avoid this because it's kind of a pain in the neck and you're, you're unsure what impact it's going to have. You know, maybe people aren't looking me up and finding me on the web. People are looking you up. And also, if you think about this, you could spend one day on branding. And in that day, you get in a professional photographer or videographer. You gloss up your website, your LinkedIn, and all the, all the different pages that represent you online. One day of effort every couple of years mm -hmm. is enough to form all these impressions as everybody, 95% of consumers are going to look you up at some point. So one day worth of effort, really. Yeah. It's going to pay off for two years. And, and you know, we'd argue that nowadays your digital impression is becoming your first impression, right? I mean, it, it, it's, you know, they're referred by a CPA. So what do they do, right? They pull their phone and they run a search for you. So like that's their first impression of you and it shapes everything else. Put energy into it. Second uh, subcomponent under digital is posting, putting out consistent content to position yourself as a thought leader and to drive overall awareness. And that's important, right? I mean, you're not necessarily going to post content right now where everyone is saying like, oh, I want to do business with them because they write great articles. I mean, it's not that it couldn't happen, but we're not seeing a ton of it. Um, but over time, that's a long-term play, man. Like I've, if I've been, how many people have we talked to who've been reading Matt Oxley's articles for 30 something years right? Yeah. and now they decide, oh, I need a coach or I, you know, I, I need someone to run my social media and you are the one I think of because You've been, I've been reading your stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a long play, yeah. but an effective one. When you think about campaigns, campaigns are being proactive. This is uh, the next subcomponent here. Mm -hmm. Being proactive using Facebook ads or LinkedIn more messaging, doing something that says, you know what, I'm not going to stop with digital at, at just having a good presence that people may find. I'm going to get out there and find people to engage. Mm -hmm. And that's what, uh, what campaigns are all about. So campaigns are like about lead capture. The next component here is about lead nurture. Right. So if you're going to run any sort of lead capturing campaign, you're going to need some lead nurture as well. You're going to need to take people who downloaded your white paper and put them through some sort of funnel. And I hate people that overuse funnel. Right. Uh, but it's, it's true um, to warm them up over time. That's all you're trying to do with, with a nurturing campaign. With web presence, this is for, for most of you out there, something completely within your control. If you're at a larger firm, you can control the text that represents you. You can control the images that represent you. If you're at an independent firm where you have the ability to get out and build your own website, do so more than every decade, mm -hmm. right? It's something yeah. that needs to be freshened up and get some outside perspective on it periodically because what looked good to you a few years ago may look like garbage now. That's true. The last subcomponent for digital is digital recon. And that is just using the amount of intelligence that's out there on the web to help you build relationships with prospects faster, build rapport with people faster, 
uh, with, with centers of influence faster. I mean, look, there's so much information out there. Some people would say it's too much, but are you using it to your advantage? Because if you're not, someone else is. The, the next component, the final of the seven, is team, mm-hmm. right? Teams now versus 10 years ago, I'd love to see some stats about how much more prevalent working on a team is in the financial service space now. Uh, it's, that, it seems like just anecdotally, it's so much more It's important. dramatic. Yeah. Uh, and so we have to take seriously the notion that if I'm a team leader, I have to embody some behavior that wants people to stick with me, that, that makes them want to service my clients really mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. and that it's more than just my efforts that are contributing to my bottom line. That's right. Right. And a lot of people morph into this team leader role unexpectedly because they grew up solo in the business. And all of a sudden, wow, I'm a boss. I'm a manager. I, I, my actions matter to more than just me. And so when we look at some of the subcomponents under team, these are here as preventative maintenance. Mm. That if we put some of these things in place that we know, it's not rocket science here. If we have checklists and succession planning and, and all these other things in place, our team is going to run more effectively. And yeah. clients can tell. And the first one on here is checklists, right? Having consistency to your, your overall operation for, for key functions within your business. It should be clear as to who's doing it and what they're doing. There should not be a ton of ambiguity here. With office communication, the next subcomponent, this includes things like team meetings, team offsites, individual performance reviews, things that, by the way, are all unique and different. Mm-hmm. Daily huddles. Yep. I mean, these are all different communication strategies, and they all play a role in running a good business. Um, the next one on here, this is an interesting one, Stephen, and we've gotten more and more calls about this as of late, and that's succession planning. You know, you're making sure that you basically you know, have this multi-generational business in place, and who's going to take care of your clients, and what, what, what does that overall plan look like? And I can't tell you how many advisors we talk to, even ones who are in super successful teams, where it's not clear what the succession plan is going to be. Yeah, and there, there's, there, there is no one perfect plan for succession planning, but there are some things you can do that ease, ease, ease the transition, mm-hmm. right? And, and a lot of that revolves around the other six components here, that if we're doing a good job in structuring the business, communicating with clients, bringing in new business, the succession planning got a little bit easier. That's true. And, and I also think it ties into what you were just talking about with communication. Yeah. I mean, there's so many teams that just don't talk about it. They're scared <laughs> to talk about it, and uh, you, you got to get it out in the open. Yeah. Yep. And the last component here is leadership. And Stephen, you kind of alluded to that. Like, look, maybe you're a solo practitioner. All of a sudden, you're leading a team. And how do you make sure that people enjoy working for you? Because then they enjoy working with your clients and they do a good job. And and, and that sometimes uh, takes some skill. No, no doubt about it. So when you look at these seven, gang, these are seven that to us represent uh, – just different buckets of ways you can improve your business. Can we recap the seven again? Because I feel like this was a, we we put a, yeah, threw a lot at you today. And by right? the way, if you're if you're curious, there's explanation about all 33 of these subcomponents mm. on our website. If you go to oxley.com, you'll see a tab for online courses, yeah. and you'll see a whole listing of these. And it's also, by the way, uh, final plug here: the way you would sign up for the Oxley Learning Center, where mm-hmm. not only do you hear about these things, but you learn how to improve every single one of these. But if we're to look at the seven core components, growth, mindset, skills, metrics, service, digital, and team. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about it this way. When when Kevin said this all came out of our research, we, every time we do research, we compare those who are doing a really good job metrics wise in terms of new business and client retention and all the things that you desire as a financial professional. And we see what are some of the behaviors that are highly correlated with success here. Mm -hmm. And that's how this list is based. So you can look at it 
And you could say, you know what? If I just start checking off the boxes here and I get a little bit better at planning my day, I get a little bit better at managing my pipeline, at running my team, and all these little things, all of a sudden your results start to look like those who really embody all 33 of these. That's right. Yeah, I think you said it really well, Stephen, in the beginning of today's podcast where you said this is the blueprint. Right. And, and, and this is one where you have to chip away at it. You can't just start doing everything. And there might be some of these things that you're already doing a good job on. So maybe you need to shift your focus and maybe you've been neglecting another aspect of it. Um, and that's what our benchmarking assessment is about. And, uh, it gives you that customized learning uh, process. And that isn't was a third, that, that was a third plug, Stephen. So, uh, I, so isn't that funny though, Kevin, that when you're thinking about how this works, you're thinking about the notion of chipping away at it. Yeah. When we work with really big teams and we get some teams coming to us who bring in over a hundred million dollars in new assets a year, these are multi-billion dollar teams. And you would think, well, must be nice. They're making a ton of money. They are probably not working that hard now. I, no, they're, Man. they are working so hard and there is never a moment where they say, you know, no, I think we're good. Right. I think we're good. No, it's like, I was thinking about this. We've got a retreat coming up. We've been working really hard on relaunching the Learning Center. This has been a big month for us, right? Oh, yeah. Big big three months. We've been really working it. Um, and I think, well, after the retreat, it'll feel good to take a breath. And I remember, we're not taking any breaths. we got a million <laughs> things we want to work on. Yeah, that's and, right. and I think that's just a good, it's the mentality that we try to have, not that we're perfect, but it's a mentality that permeates this culture here. And we think it's, a, it's an exciting space to be in when you're living with self-improvement. Thanks for joining everybody.